As I said earlier on, we're into sermon number five of uh, the sermon series, nearing the end of um, our series on the life and missionary journeys of Paul. And uh, the, sermon looks, the sermon series looks at how this man who was called by God to not only spread the good news of Jesus to the world, but to live it and to model it. He was called to be an example. He started churches in all the places that he visited on these missionary journeys. His pattern was always the same. He would go and he would teach in the synagogues until they got to a point where they kicked him out or they decided they didn't like his message or his message challenged some uh, aspect of their life. And then he would then move to places like the shopping malls or the town squares or the, uh, the public squares where debates and discussions were allowed to be held. So, as we'll see today, he actually moves into a lecture theater in Ephesus, where he taught for two years, um, hiring it out every day. But the, um, <clears throat> he would, <clears throat> excuse me, as part of his uh, pattern, he would establish leaders in those churches, establish elders and, and uh, deacons or whatever the terminology would have been used, and he would encourage them to continue to build the church as he left and moved on to the next place. And so the gospel began to grow. So the churches began to spread out. And Paul would then write letters to those churches, many of which are the letters we have in our New Testament today. Today, because it is a communion Sunday, we'll be taking just a very brief look at Paul's third missionary journey, journey where he spends the bulk of his time in Ephesus. And throughout the series, quite a few people in the congregation have told me that they've been to Ephesus or they've been to some of these places and they've seen the ruins that are there. And the ruins in Ephesus are actually quite magnificent, as you'll see in a minute or two in the video. But Paul, instead of going to Ephesus by sea, he chooses to walk and chooses to do so so that he could visit the other churches along the way. I love the way, when, when Jan read it, it's just a sentence in Acts where it says, Paul went through Galatia. And uh, it's just, you know, that's just one sentence. But the distance that he actually walked, um, I took the calculations and I worked it out in terms of Australian terms. It's just a mere uh, walk from Brisbane to Longreach. That is... <laughs> That is the distance that Paul covered to get from uh, Syrian Antioch all the way to Ephesus. And um, as we'll see, when he gets to Ephesus, there is an incredible economic impact of the gospel. Because faith in God can be costly. We already saw in the Paul's second missionary journey where he heals a fortune teller slave of her demon possessions. And the owners are so upset because now they can no longer charge people to have their fortunes read. They lose their income stream, and they have Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into jail. Uh, do you remember that in the Philippine jail? And today we'll see an economic impact that will ultimately have far, far greater consequences for Paul. And it poses a significant challenge for you and me as Christians today. Thank you, Ruth. What would lead a first century rabbi to travel thousands of miles by sea and by land, to be beaten, imprisoned, and ultimately beheaded for his faith? 
was a call. A call to turn the world upside down. This is the story of the Apostle Paul, whose writings continue to shape the lives of one-third of the world's population. A man second only to Jesus in his impact and influence on the Christian faith, and whose witness defines what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. sitting in front of a building whose bricks were laid 2,000 years ago, and uh, I'm reminded once more of how far back in time we've traveled with the Apostle Paul. When last we met Paul, he was in Corinth, ministering with the people there for 18 months. Then he sets sail from Corinth. He travels to Ephesus across the Aegean Sea uh, to the town of Ephesus. He spends only a brief time there and tells them, I'll be back, Lord willing. And he sails from there back to Caesarea in uh, Palestine. He travels from Caesarea to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he reports on the second missionary journey to the apostles, and then he goes back to Syrian Antioch. And in Syrian Antioch, he feels the need to go back and revisit the churches that he's already founded. As you can see on the map, he's traveling across Asia Minor, starting in Tarsus' his hometown. He revisits the, t the towns of Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian Antioch, and then he makes his way to Ephesus. We're now entering the city of Ephesus. This is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire in Paul's day, after Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, and Syria, where uh, Paul had been home-based out of. Uh, then we come to Ephesus. Ephesus at its zenith had 250,000 residents, though in Paul's day, somewhere between 80 and 100,000 people. And we're standing near the main gates where Paul entered the city on his third missionary journey. He'd come here on his second missionary journey by ship and only stayed for a short while and promised if it was God's will, he would come back. But on his third missionary journey, he returns here, and this time by land. Now, this is a remarkable city and a very important one for the early Christian faith. We find that Paul stayed here for two years and three months. He preached first in the synagogue for three months, boldly proclaiming Christ. When he was expelled from the synagogue, he rented a lecture hall, and he stayed here for two years, proclaiming the gospel, teaching and establishing the church, and had a profound impact, not only in Ephesus, but throughout Asia. And so we're going to explore this magnificent city and its ruins. Let's go and take a look. So uh, this is not very biblical, but it's certainly a uh, very interesting thing. This is the public latrines, and, uh, and so people would sit together, they'd have conversation together. There was running water that ran through this trough here. Uh, there would be sticks with sponges on them, and this is how you cleaned yourself after you were finished. Uh, running sewers, the Romans were brilliant, uh, but this was uh, part of daily life and even social life in that time.
So what you see behind me are uh, Roman villas, and these were luxury villas. They were stationed right on the main street in a wonderful location. Uh, tiled, uh, mosaic tiles out front of these. They were uh, stepped up so that you could, you know, each villa was built on top of the other one. So in essence, uh, 2nd and 1st century AD, and prior to that, even some BC, uh, luxury villas or condominiums. And uh, we're going to go inside and we're going to actually see some of the remains of some of these beautiful mosaics and, uh, and, and other things from these, uh, from these excavated um, luxury homes. So let's go inside. We're standing at a high point over the city where the luxury villas had been built and there were far more that were built on these hillsides that had been, not been excavated yet. But from here, you can look back down over the town and you see what's called Marble Street running right down the center of town just past us. Up on the right on the hillside is the amphitheater, which we'll visit in just a moment and plays a really important role in the Book of Acts. And, and then in the foreground, you'll see first just a portion of the Library of Celsus and then behind that, you find the Public Agora, which was the shopping center of the downtown Ephesus. As you look beyond this, you look out and you see the tall buildings that are back over here. Those tall buildings mark the harbor. So it was into this harbor in Ephesus that Paul sailed on his second missionary journey, stayed for only a short time, then sailed back out from this place. And everything that you see beyond that, all the light green grasses that are out there and the highway, all of that was water. All of that was the harbor of ancient Ephesus. There's still some, uh, some water down there and some, uh, uh, some marshy places, but uh, largely, this was silted in over the centuries since that time. So we're standing here in front of one of the most recognizable features of ancient Ephesus, though this building was not here in Paul's day. It was built uh, around 110. It took. Uh, maybe 25 years to finish it. It was built to honor Celsus, who was a governor in the Asia province. It was built by his son and dedicated to his father. And it's the library, the library of Celsus. Now, there were much larger libraries. This library had about 15,000 scrolls in it. But, uh, but I wanted you to see it because you can't come to Ephesus and not notice this. And certainly by the time of uh, the early second century, the Christians who lived in Ephesus were well familiar with this library. Uh, through the triple arches, which would have been built about the time of the library, you see the agora, the commercial agora or the shopping center, the uh, marketplace. And Paul would have been in that agora many times during the two years and three months that he lived here in Ephesus, uh, purchasing goods and, and probably in conversation with people. If, if you look this direction, up on the hillside, you can see the theater, which we're going to visit in a moment. But in the foreground, you can see columns. And somewhere in this vicinity was a lecture hall. And uh, we don't know that it was the lecture hall that Paul rented for two years, uh, but it may have been that lecture hall where Paul would come and from 11 until 4, he would teach uh, every day in the lecture hall, teach and preach and minister and, and uh, make disciples here. So I'm standing in the primary shopping center in the heart of Ephesus. Uh, the, the columns would have supported a roof structure, and behind me, 
uh, would have been shops and all the way around this. Now this entire agora is 100 yards square, so it's, it's like two football fields put you know, side by side. So as we walk in the footsteps of Paul, Paul went shopping sometimes. And uh, so we'll continue from here. During Paul's ministry here in Ephesus, this two years and three months, profound things began to happen. There were miraculous healings that took place. There were people who, who came to believe that even if they touched a handkerchief that Paul had carried, uh, they could be healed. If, if you read Acts, it sounds like there were thousands of people who were coming to faith in Christ in this place. And then Paul was discipling them and sending them out throughout Asia Minor to take the gospel to other towns. And so it became this hub of Christianity and the power of God was just doing amazing things here. And, and that was all well and good until it began to impact people uh, economically. So, so what happened was, the first thing that we see in Acts is there was in Ephesus these little scrolls that were sold. Uh, these scrolls had incantations, uh, like magic spells, if you will. If you were uh, infertile, you might use one of these and pray one of these. And so you would purchase it and pray it, and, and perhaps you'd have a child. And there were a host of other things, if you were sick or if you wanted your crops to, to prosper. And, and so there was a trade in this here. And, um, and there were people who sold these things. There were many people who had them and traded them. And, and so what happened was, as people came to faith in Christ, they began to realize these had no power. And, uh, and one day they came and they brought, all of these believers brought their incantations, these scrolls with spells, they brought them to town and they burned them together. And Acts says that the value of the scrolls that were burned that day was 50,000 drachmas. Remember, a drachma is a day's wages. This is $5 million if somebody made $100 a day in, in scrolls that were burned. And, and this, of course, affects the market for these things in this town. And throughout the ancient Roman world, people knew that the goddess Artemis was worshipped here. She was the uh, goddess of the Ephesians. And uh, there was a giant temple built to her here. It's long since been destroyed. Magnificent. One of the wonders of the ancient world. People would come from all over to come to this place. And, and when they did, they would come to the marketplaces, the agoras, and they would buy little idols of Artemis. Uh, the people in the village and the city had them. Uh, people came from outside, they purchased these. But as people's lives were changed and they were coming to faith in Christ, they no longer believed in the idols. They no longer believed in Artemis. And so, so we find a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, begins to notice that this is affecting his business. Paul is affecting his business. Christianity is affecting his business. And so he, he raises, he goes to the other artisans, the woodsmiths, and, or the wood uh, workers and the, and the silversmiths, and he says, you know, this man's preaching is affecting us. He's, he's uh, demeaning our goddess, and, and uh, he's changing our business, and, and this is affecting us. We've got to do something about it. And, and so raising up a furor over this, uh, over Paul's preaching, this comes to a climax. It comes to a head in the theater behind me. So let's go there now. This theater in the days of the Apostle Paul seated seven to 10,000 people. It was expanded by the Romans in the next century to seat 25,000. It was the great theater of Ephesus. And, uh, and if you look in the distance, the Harbor Road runs right out to where the harbor once had been. And, and, and so as people came into town, they came and this is what they saw first. 
Now, on this particular day, uh, Demetrius, the silversmith, rallies the other artisans and the shopkeepers who were selling uh, these various things that, that people were no longer buying because they were Christians. And, and, and he begins to say that, that, the, uh, that the Apostle Paul and the Christians were, were diminishing their goddess and ruining their livelihood. And they began to stir up other people in the town, pro probably in the Agora, and they began to march this way. They found two of Paul's associates, and they drug them with them here to this place. And, and Paul begged the Christians, he says, I want to go and speak to everyone in the theater. And, and they said, no, please, no, you cannot go, they'll kill you. And so they kept Paul away. And in this place, the people began chanting, chanting and for two hours they chanted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians some of them not even knowing why they were there and why they were chanting. And finally, the city clerk comes and quiets everyone down and says, and says this is an illegal assembly. You can't do this, and let's take it to the courts if we need to. And, and the people finally leave. Paul gives words of encouragement to the Ephesians once more, and then he walks down this street behind me to the harbor, and he sets sail to complete his third missionary journey. Now, I want to ask you this question as we're closing this session. The economic impact of the gospel can be profound. Uh, it can be profound for Christians who find that sometimes the things they've been selling or the way they've been making money no longer is consistent with the faith that they have. And so for some it means losing a job or selling a business or giving up a business. This is what was happening in Ephesus at the time. Uh, for some it means no longer using their money to support things or to purchase things that they once purchased. And I'm reminded of a man in, in my own congregation several years ago who ran an IT company and, and they were about to fold. They, they financially were struggling. It was, it was at a, a, you know, just a very difficult financial time. And out of the blue came an opportunity for him to host a pornographic website. And it would have kept his business going and kept his employees employed. And, and yet he struggled with this. Should I do this and take the money and yet do something I know hurts people? And, and, uh, and, or or do, I, do I let my business go? And in the end, he let his business go and said, I, I can't do this. I know what the cost is. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to pay the cost. I want to ask you, are you willing to pay any cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus gave everything for us. The Apostle Paul was willing to travel all around, be beaten and abused and in prison and ultimately killed. Is there any price you're willing to pay? Things you won't purchase anymore or things that you shouldn't purchase anymore or ways you shouldn't spend your money or ways that you make money that you say, I just can't anymore. Or maybe it's the favor of other people that you've been that, that you've had, and suddenly they're not willing to they're not willing to do business with you because they know you're a follower of Christ. The gospel can be costly. In Ephesus, we remember that, and I invite you to wrestle with these things in your own life. I'm certainly glad that the public toilet system has undergone some modernization. I mean, imagine that. If you want to get together socially for a chat, I mean, today we go for coffee. We phone up and we say, hey, would you like to meet me for a coffee? What would you have said in Paul's day? Hey, would you like to meet me to get rid of a coffee? Is that, I don't know. What? One of those moments where you're just extremely thankful to be born in the era that you're born in. Wow. But back to the important uh, part of the video. It's an incredible challenge that Adam Hamilton issues at the end there. I mean, being born in the era that we are um, and following Christ, uh, being born in that era, sorry, uh, came, came with a cost. Adam mentions briefly Paul is taking an offering to Jerusalem, and that offering was given by the, the Christians, the Gentile Christians, to support the ministry taking place in Jerusalem. 
And the offering that Paul collected would have demonstrated his commitment to the church back in Jerusalem, a church that was still possibly suspicious of him in some senses. And this was a way of saying, look, we are, we are supporting what you're doing. But more so, it was also about the believers supporting ministry and making sure that, that everything that they had, that all their possessions, that who they were through and through was seen as being totally committed to God. The early church were very clear that when you were committed to Christ, you were completely committed. Every single part of your life was available to be used by God and for His glory. Which then led to that second aspect of the challenge for the Christians in Ephesus, where the gospel was particularly costly. Getting rid of those scrolls uh, came at a huge price. As Adam says, uh, five, the equivalent of $5 million dollars uh, in today's money. That is just astounding. Are we willing to pay the cost of faithful Christianity? Not just in terms of what we give in support of ministry at the church, but, but are we willing to pay the cost in terms of faithfulness? Are there things in our lives that we should be letting go, things that we know hold us back, things that we, we hang on to and we just don't want to release them, economic or otherwise? Are there things that are not consistent with a life that is committed to Jesus Christ? This morning we remember that Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate cost. It cost him everything. And Paul's missionary journey to Ephesus reminds us that there is a cost involved for you and I as well. That a desire to be faithful is a desire to give over all that we can to, uh, to be faithful to be in the security and in the love of Jesus Christ. And if we take communion and we, we rejoice in the offering of what cost Jesus Christ, we should expect that it'll cost us. Because as willing as He is to give, we need to be willing to give as well. I pray this morning that as we take Holy Communion, it may be a moment where we, we examine our own lives and say, what would faithfulness cost me? What is there that is holding back? What is there that I need to let go? Amen. Let us pray.